notes in your bulletin this morning, so take them out. I'm going to spend a lot of time in the Word of God today, two different places, a number of different places, but the sermon notes are always there to give you the opportunity to make sure that you know where we're going, where we've been, so that you can unpack it a little bit more when you get home. I spend weeks putting it together and hours in a given week, making sure that it's all done and deliver it in 30, and I know you can't retain it all, so every once in a while I want to make sure the sermon notes are in there so that you can look up some of these sections of Scripture as we go through. I've got a couple of questions in my sermon notes. are written in a different form than yours, but how many of you have that one person in your life that has always been there? The one that's been with you for a long time, you look to them for wisdom, advice. Maybe you just watch their life. You don't always talk to them about certain things, but you've watched their life and you've learned so much from them. could be a parent or a grandparent, a high school teacher, a professor in college, somebody that's been your friend all of your life. How many of you have that one person in your life that you know has always been there that you love looking to and you love learning from? How many of you have one? Awesome. How many of you don't and wish you did? Quite a few of you. I'm going to give you one this morning. I don't have a lot of regrets in my life. Got a few. And if you ever ask me personally, I'd be happy to tell you what some of them are. One of the things that I wish I had in my life is a lifelong friend. A lot of you have shared stories with me through the years of having that high school guy or high school girl or friend of yours that you went to elementary school with and you've been friends all along. One of the things that happens as a result of changing churches on a regular basis is you have a group of friends that you really love and adore and spend a lot of time with and walk through life with and then you go to another church. And God has blessed me in wonderful ways in the last four churches in the last 30-some years with some great friends, but not that lifelong friend. My son-in-law is transitioning over the next few weeks, and he said to me a number of months ago, I've got four friends we all went to college with, and we made a promise to each other that we'd stay friends forever. I said, cherish it, brother. If you have those lifelong friends, I want to give you a word this morning. Thank them. If you've had that person in your life who's meant a lot to you, that you've learned a lot from, I hope you have told them already. If not, call them up every once in a while and say, look, I've watched you for a long time, or every time I ask you for advice, you're willing to give it. And I just want to tell you how much I've appreciated that. In my case, I've not had that lifelong friend, but man, I've had friends all my life. And God has strategically placed different people every once in a while. And so if you have that person or have had that and still do, man, thank him specifically before they go done way too many funerals this year of people my age and i'm reminded again the brevity of life the severity of life the shortness of life the preciousness of life how important it is to tell people who've meant a lot to you how much they've meant to you so do that now if you haven't had that person or don't have that person i want to give you a gift this morning i want to give you one he's been with us all along his name is joshua Every once in a while, God very clearly places people in our biblical path that can teach us a lot, that have stood the test of time. Now, Joshua's been around for a few thousand years, but when you listen and look at this guy's story, you're going to see that what he shares with us and what he can teach us is just as relevant as if it was written last week. This morning, I want to back up a little bit. Instead of taking a chapter or two material and unpacking, I want to back up a little bit and look at this guy's life. I think there are half a dozen powerful lessons he teaches us. This morning, I want to go over a few. 
and then apply them and make sure you've applied them to your journey of life. So if you're looking for somebody to follow or emulate, looking for somebody that can teach you some great lessons, look at this guy. He takes over at a very critical time in the history of the Israelites and follows a very successful leader. Two things in your sermon notes I say about that. One is this. God was preparing him all along, and I think he knew it. And he made sure those lessons were ones that he kind of put in that lesson basket so that whenever he had to take it out or whenever he had to use it or at that moment in time when God was doing something specific, he could draw from that basket and remember, Lord, I saw you teach me this here. I want to apply it now. It didn't make sense then. But man, am I so excited that I'm learning it now and I'm seeing it fleshed out right now. The second thing about that is Joshua made a decision. I honestly believe it was a strategic decision to be his own person. Any of you in business or in any career had to follow somebody else that was very successful. You know how difficult that can be at times. And the one thing God teaches me and has taught me all along is you don't fill anybody else's shoes, wear your own. I have been blessed in a way of following people all of my ministry life who've been very successful, and sometimes that can be intimidating. I, I've known the history of this church all of my ministry life in this district, and knowing some of the pastors that you've had, and then all of a sudden Denny Kreisick wheels in in his pickup truck with a gun rack in the window, and he's going to be the senior pastor of this church. I'm thinking, Lord, what were you thinking? And then very clearly, early in my ministry, God said, be who you are. They're going to find out your weaknesses pretty soon anyhow. <laughs> so just go with it. But be your own person. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by God's creative hand. Molly did a phenomenal job of singing 139, Psalm 139 this morning. And in that psalm, God very clearly said, look, I want you to know how wired you are and how wonderful you are and how created you are. And I want you to know I did it spe specifically and very strategically just for you. So be you and be okay with that. Grow your strengths? Absolutely. Hone your skills? You better. Become the best you can be in whatever field God has you in? Certainly. But don't try to be who you're not. And don't try to be somebody else. Can you imagine what it must have been like for him to follow Moses, for heaven's sake? I mean, would you want to follow Moses? Manna from heaven, water from a rock, opening the Red Sea. No way on the planet. God would have come to me and said, look, Moses died, you're up. I'm going, not me, bro. Thank you, God, for the privilege, but I'm, I'm not up to it. Moses is the one that made all the excuse. Joshua just said, okay. But he was himself. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God wired you and made you just the way he wanted you to be. And God doesn't make junk. Again, hone your skills and get better at what you are, but be so thankful for how wired you are and how individual God created you to be. I love that about this guy. God had been preparing him all along. He, he made a very clear decision that he wasn't going to waste those moments. Some of the things that God takes you through don't make sense at the time. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't make sense at the time. But if you put them in that learning basket, as I said a moment ago, you're going to find out miles down the road or weeks down the road or months down the road or maybe a few years down the road how valuable that was for this moment. At the time, it may have not made sense, but then all of a sudden, as you see yourself in this moment and what God taught you and what you learned, you say, oh, thank you, Lord. I didn't quite get it then. And to be really honest with you, I didn't appreciate it. 
I really didn't want to go through it, but man, how I've seen you prepare me for where I'm at now. It could be sickness or it could be incredible leadership. It could be every end of the spectrum. I don't like being this dependent on people. I don't like being whatever that may be. But now where God has taken you and what he's teaching you is incredible. Enjoy the moment. Don't ever miss the moment. And put it into that basket of what God wants to teach you. I'm going to give you a couple this morning, quite a few, but obviously two are I want to point out right away. They're both similar situations. It's in Exodus 24 and 33. They're in your sermon notes. If you have your Bible, you can look at them later and read the story as it begins to unpack. But there are two different incidences of Joshua following Moses, being with Moses at very unique times in the story. The first one in Exodus, 33, or Exodus 24 is when Moses goes up on the mountain. He's going to get the Ten Commandments. God has already written them down, and he's going to bring them back. And if you know the story, obviously it's an incredible story. And that 40 days and 40 nights that God, or Moses spends on the mountain with God, what's unique about this story is that he takes Joshua with him. And there's nowhere that there's any indication that Joshua left. Look, 10 days, for heaven's sakes, I'm going to get a sandwich. I'll come back in another five days and see where you're at. He stays there that entire time. And the next incident, and it's in, <laughs> say that one three times fast. The next incident is in Exodus chapter 33. Moses puts his tent up outside the camp, calls it the tent of meeting. It's the place where he goes to meet God. The glory of God comes down in really powerful ways. Nobody has to doubt that Moses is God's ordained man for that moment. The pillar of fire by day, the cloud by, or the pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day, and the presence of God. In both of those incidences, you're going to see, matter of fact, it says God talked to Moses like a man talks to a friend. When in the Exodus section of Scripture in verse chapter 33, when Moses is done meeting with God, he leaves, Joshua stays. A couple of things out of both of those incidences. I want you to remember the kind of person that Joshua was. Most would call him, or at least I call him, a man's man. I don't know if you grew up with that in your life. My dad was a man's man at 85 years old. The guy could still whip my tail. I believe it. We've got a farm that's 130 acres, and, and there's fence row that goes all the way up almost a half of a mile to the top of a hill. I was down there a few weeks ago, and I said, Dad, I can't believe how well taken care that is. And he says, I weed whack it. I said, you weed whack a mile of fence? As I looked around, it was that far. I said, have you never heard of Roundup? He said, I want to keep in good shape. I'm thinking, for what? You're 85 years old. He says, because I want to get to you one of these days if you when he listened to stories. So often we look at those man's man kind of people, those warriors that Joshua was, and we don't always put that within the context of worship and adoration. We don't always put that in the context of loving time alone with God of being in those places where I can just enjoy singing or expressing to God my love and adoration. I'm sure you've been to churches. I've never seen it here. But I'm sure you've been to churches where you've seen guys that don't like music and don't want to express it and don't want to be known to express it standing through worship like this. 
I'm sure you've been to other churches where you've seen those guys who don't somehow imagine that a man's man is going to sing and going to express his love and adoration to God and give glory and praise. You cannot be in the presence of God like Joshua was in either of these incidences and not be touched and not be changed and not want to enjoy those moments and not want to find him as often as you possibly can in your schedule of life. You and I are so busy, our activities are consuming, and our schedules are overwhelming. But I'm telling you, whether you're leading your business, your family, your small group, your ministry, or your church, you have to have those moments in life when you just are alone with God. And you need those moments in life when you're in worship and adoration. They may happen at the exact same time. They may be in two different contexts. That's one of the things I say to all of our people. I am so delighted in your ministries and the fact that we could not do what we do here at Community Alliance Church without the hundreds of volunteers all over this place. But the one thing that I want to make sure that is in your weekend schedule is time in here, not because of what I have to say is that awesome or what we do is that overwhelming, but I want to make sure that in your schedule is those times when worship and adoration is what I'm doing and nothing else. And I want to make sure in your life schedule, with all the activities and all the demands, is some quiet moments alone with God. Where you're recharging your batteries. Matter of fact, God says, I want to give you a gift. You're pretty busy. You've got a lot to do. I know that. You're pretty active. So let me give you a gift. Every six days, I want you to stop. How many of you, don't raise your hands on this one. But how many of you have a long list of things you want to get accomplished today because you didn't get them done the last six? God said, don't do that. Now, you're going to think I'm old school and old-fashioned, and I get that. But God said, I'd rather you didn't do that. I want to give you a great gift. I want you every seven days to stop. Cease from your labor. Stop. Acknowledge me. Understand who I am, what I'm doing in your life. Slow down. Joshua was a man's man. I don't know if he sang well. I don't know if he even loved music. But I'm telling you, this man recognized that it was necessary to be the man of God that he designed him to be or the woman of God that you want to be. I'm telling you, you've got to have those moments with God. And he gives us that gift when he said every seven days, stop. Six days you've got to labor. Seventh day, I want you to stop. I want you to slow down. I want you to rest. Acknowledge me. One of my favorites is found in Exodus 17. Probably out of all the things that I learned from Joshua and the things that I love about him, one of the things that always have stood out for me since the very first time I understood this man's character was this story. It's in Exodus 17. It's another time when they're in battle. They're fighting this time the Amalekites. They had more enemies than anybody you could imagine, but this time they're facing the Amalekites. Moses said, Josh, I want you to take the army out. I want you to fight them. I'm going to go up on the hill. I'm going to pray. And hopefully you know the story, but read it this afternoon. So that's what happens. Moses is now in his 80s. Joshua is prime time, man. He is fighting prime. Moses gets up on the hill and he begins to pray. As he holds his hands up in prayer, Joshua is winning the battle. As he gets weary and his hands fall down, the Amalekites start to win. It got so tense and so long that it, that battle kept going back and forth that Moses got tired and had to sit down. I still remember when we used to have three services and people would come up to me after the third service when it was all over and ask me to pray. I was so tired I had to sit down. 
on the front stairs of the old sanctuary. Moses is intense in prayer, and he's got to sit down. Matter of fact, he gets so tired that he can't even hold his hands up anymore. So Aaron's on one side and hers on the other side, and they hold his hands up. And as long as his hands are in the air, the Israelites are winning. And the moment his hands go down, the Amalekites start to win. What do you think Joshua learned that day? That his ability was more powerful than prayer, or prayer was more powerful than his ability? You think he learned that much about his sword-wielding abilities that day? Or without prayer, I'm toast. And without the foundation of prayer, we're all toast. Joshua learned three things that day, a dozen things, but I have three in your sermon notes this morning. One is the power of prayer over the power of the sword, right in your sermon notes somewhere. Second, obviously, is the power of teamwork. And thirdly is the power of prayer warriors. All of my life, I've been blessed with having people that I know in a moment's notice I could call on. One is my mom. But I could call on in a moment's notice and say, look, we're going through this. We're going to do that. We're going to have this happen. This event's going to take place. I got a congregational meeting, and I never know what's going to happen, whether I'm going to get fired tonight, tonight, or whatever. And I call her up, and, I, and she does every single time. Got people through the audiences throughout the years who I know have prayed very specifically and strategically at certain areas of our ministry life. I hope you have one of those, and I hope you are one of those for somebody else. If you're one for us, my, I, couldn't, I could never, ever thank you enough that you pray for us on a regular basis, that you uphold our ministries with prayer, that you do it on a regular basis. And we know that we could call on you, and even if we don't say God by his ability, I've had this happen more often than not, that I don't have to call certain people about certain incidences that God has already prepared the way, and by his spirit, he has said to them, you need to pray for this, or you need to pray for him right now. And then they'll send me a note, is there anything that was going on at that time? And I will say to them, you'll never believe this. And it was exactly when I needed it the most. Daryl, next Sunday morning, when I talk about where he's been and where he's at right now, you think that man needs prayer? Do you think he needs people to hold him up in prayer? I hope you have those people in your life that pray for you on a regular basis, and I really hope that you've done that and are doing that for somebody else. That they know they could call on you in a moment's notice and say, look, we're going through deep waters. I don't know how we're going to get through this. My kids are wrestling with God. My kids are walking away from God. My husband just was terminated. My wife has cancer. I'm facing a challenge at work tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to go through it. I don't even want to go. Just pray for me, will you? I hope you have those people in your life. They're incredible. They're one of God's greatest gifts. I'm delighted for his abilities. The man is, to me, a, a great man of God, and I love the fact that he carries a weapon everywhere he goes and all of those things that go with that. But he learned very clearly that day that the power of winning wasn't in the ability with the sword, but it was in the power of prayer. Now, power of prayer for you may be in a large group, a small group, maybe in your personal life, your couple life, your family life, whatever that looks like. But man, the power of prayer is overwhelming. Second thing I mentioned a moment ago in his case was the power of teamwork. How many, I asked this in the first service, and I was surprised at the hands that didn't go up. How many know the bricklayer story? How many have heard me read that one before or share that one with you? Wow, two of you. That's amazing. It's the story of a bricklayer trying to move 500 pounds of bricks from the top of a four-story building to the sidewalk below. The problem was he was trying to do it alone. In his own words, this is what he said in the insurance claim. 
Would it take me too long to carry the bricks down by hand? So I decided to put them in a barrel and lower them by the pulley that I fastened to the top of the building. After tying the rope securely at ground level, I went, from the top, went to the top of the building, fastened the rope around the barrel, loaded it with bricks, and then swung it out over the sidewalk for its descent below. Then I went down to the sidewalk, untied the rope, held on to it securely to guide the barrel down slowly. What I didn't count on is that I only weighed 140 pounds and the barrel weighed 500. And it jerked me up from the ground so fast that I didn't have time to think of letting the rope go. As I passed between the second and third floor, I love that phrase. As I passed between the second and third floors, I met the barrel coming down. That accounts for the bruises and lacerations of my upper body. I held tightly onto the rope until I reached the top where my hand became jammed in the pulley, which accounts for my broken thumb. At the same time, however, the barrel hit the sidewalk below with such a bang, the bottom fell out. With the weight of the bricks gone, the barrel only weighed 40 pounds. Thus, my 140-pound body began the swift descent below, and I met the barrel coming up, which accounts for my broken angle. I continued the descent and landed on the pile of bricks, which accounts for my sprained back and broken collarbone. Now, at that point, I completely lost presence of mind and let go of the rope. The empty barrel came crashing down on me, which accounts for my head injury. As for the last question on your insurance form, what would you do if the same situation arose again? Please be advised that I finished doing everything all by myself. We need people. No man's an island. You can't get through life on your own. You're tough. Your ability, we Americans have learned to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but you know and I know we need people. And I hope you love and appreciate those around you and what they have taught you. I want you to take you back now to Joshua chapter 6 and, verse, and chapter 10 in a moment. Two unusual incidences in the life of Joshua with all these things that God has taught him along the way. He's now going to put them into practice as he's leading the children of Israel. The first one is one of the most familiar. If you grew up in church or Sunday school, somewhere along the way, you learned the song, Joshua Fit the Battle of Jericho. It's in Joshua chapter 6. God says to this fighting warrior, this is how you're going to take them on. I want you to march around the city for six days. On the seventh day, I want you to march it around it again for seven times. And then I want the priests to blow their trumpets as loud as they can. I want you to give a great shout, and the wall's going to come down. Now, the Joshua, as a warrior, he's got to look to God and say, you've got to be kidding. I know how to win battles. Remember what I've seen you do. But in this particular context, it's all... It's way more about obedience than it is understanding. There are times in your life when you looked at God and said, I don't get this. I'm not sure that if I really fully understand what it is you're calling me to do or want me to do or what you're doing in my life right now, but after everything I've seen you do, I'm going to trust you. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. and I really don't grasp exactly what's going to happen here, but I'm going to trust you. And so he does. What God's really looking for is not always understanding, but he's looking for obedience. And that you're willing to walk with him and stay with him and stay connected to him and believe in him and trust in him no matter what, even if it doesn't make sense and even if you don't understand. They had to walk around Jericho for 13 times. Do you ever wonder what happened if they only did it 12? Okay, once enough, twice, six times, 11 times, 12 times. Okay, come on, God, seriously, nothing's happened, we're done. It's on the 13th time that it happened. 
I grew up hearing, let go and let God, just leave it at the altar and don't worry about it anymore. And then I've also learned that I need to every once in a while pray through until I've seen God work. Continue on no matter what. Continue to seek his face, pound like that widow in the New Testament scripture on the door until God says you're done or the answer comes. Thirteen times around the city to a warrior that wouldn't make sense, but he continued to do it. Your sermon notes, I asked the question, why would anyone not to follow through in full obedience? And a lot of reasons. No quick, no results. We Americans love quick results. It seemed pointless. It didn't make sense. Pride, certainly number three, would have gotten in the way. And then number four, we just want to do it our way, and we don't always understand God's way. And then I wrote my sermon notes this morning. Every time I read this story, I find myself saying, Lord, are you asking me to do something that I fully don't understand now? If so, I want to be completely obedient to what it is you're asking me to do. And then the second sentence I wrote in here is, Lord, after I've seen what you did in Joshua's life, where do I need to trust in you more than in my own abilities? Where have I leaned on my own understanding? Where is it I'm leaning on my own abilities and not trusting in you completely? Final one I want to share with you this morning is in Joshua chapter 10. You've got to read this story. Matter of fact, it finishes by saying it's never happened before and it's never happened again. And Joshua had the audacity to ask God to have the sun stand still. And God said, okay. I mean, that's really the story. He has God to have the sun stand. Now, the sun has been moving on a particular continuum for a long time. Out of all the things you're going to ask God to do, you're going to ask God to have the sun stand still. On vacation, I've asked him to have time stand still. But he asked God to have the sun stand still, and God says, okay. And he does. A life lived in faith and obedience in your sermon notes can give you the courage to pray with audacious faith. <laughs> I said to Denise when I was putting the sermon notes together, I was going to have audacious as the one you had to fill in instead of faith. And then I thought, I don't even know how to spell audacious. <laughs> it means big faith. It just means incredibly large faith. After all I've seen you do, God, this doesn't make sense. And I'm telling you, this is big. But I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you? For you, it may look like one thing. For others, it may look like something different. But to believe God for the big, whatever that may be. Sometimes in situations that you just have no other place to go to, but God, and you realize that's the first place to go to to begin with. A few weeks ago, the children's department had an event out at the Taylor Farm, which 190 people were showing up for. Pretty significant, pretty large. First time they'd done that. First time that many people signed up for a family night experience with all the group leaders, and um, we were doing it outside. The week had been amazing. I mean, all week long. I love this fall weather, but the week had been amazing. And so all of a sudden, I kept looking at the weather forecast for Friday night, and it was supposed to rain like cats and dogs. On Thursday, I got up, and I looked at that mass, and on Friday morning again at that huge mass of rain that was coming across Ohio that was headed our way, and I said, God, I know this is huge, and I know you have other things on your mind, but we got 190 people showing up this thing tonight, and it's outdoors, and I can't wave how excited I am about it, and I know everybody's looking forward to it. I would love that there's any way possible to slow that rain down. I don't care if it rains all day Saturday. I just wish it would not rain on Friday night. We had that event that Friday night, and it was breathtaking. 
It wasn't a raindrop in anywhere. The sun was beautiful. The sun set. The whole deal was awesome. The next morning I get up and I'm listening to the, what my wife calls the Bobsy Twins on either Channel 4 or Channel 11. And I can't remember which one it is. And the girl gives a weather forecast and he said, I don't understand this, but the weather mass that was coming across Ohio slowed down last night and now it's going to rain all day long. And I'm thinking, oh, that's cool, God. <laughs> Even she verifies it. When I told this story in the first sermon, I had four different people come up to me after the service saying, it was you! One had an outdoor wedding that day. One had an outdoor event that they had been planning for months that day. Four different people had four different events that particular Saturday, and it rained all day long. But it was awesome on Friday night. Mark Batterson writes a book called The Circle Maker. I haven't finished it yet, but it's a fascinating premise. As he talks about praying big and praying great and asking God to do some things that only God can do and circling Jericho, it doesn't make sense, but God did amazing things. He tells a story of two people by the name of Wayne and Diane. They found out they were pregnant and really wanted to pray very specifically and strategically for that child. And then they really felt constrained to pray for that child's mate. She said it didn't make sense because the child wasn't even born yet. And they had made the decision not to know the gender of the child until after it was born. And so they prayed. They prayed and they prayed for that child to be born well and healthy and specifically for that child's mate. They prayed for a name. In October of the year of that pregnancy, she got the name Jessica. So she assumed she was going to have a girl. Two months later in December, she got the name Timothy. Now she was confused. In May of the following year, Timothy was born. She continued to pray through that entire journey for Timothy's spouse and for Timothy's mate. And 22 years and two weeks later, Timothy's mate walks down the aisle, and her name is Jessica. She said, we never told him this story until after they got engaged. He dated other girls. He dated girls whose names weren't Jessica. But a thousand miles away, on October of the previous year, Jessica was born. And in their journey with God, he brought them together. And so what I thought was going to be my daughter became my daughter-in-law. And we never told them the story until they were engaged. And God answered her prayers. I don't know what it's like for you. It could be that person that you know, that you love like crazy, but doesn't know Christ. And you think they'll never change. They've turned God off in so many ways it'll never happen. Maybe that's the one you've been asked by God to pray for. Maybe it's a family relationship that needs reconciled, a son or a daughter who's walking away from God who you think will never come back. Maybe it's a dad or a mom who you don't think will ever come to church. They don't even like the fact that you go, but they let you go, but they have nothing to do with God, don't want anything to do with God. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's in your work. Who knows what the situation may be for you? What I'm learning from Joshua in just these short period of time that I've been with him and all these years that I've watched his life is that God can do some of the most amazing things if you continue to live a life of obedience, learning from the things he teaches you along the way. Put them in that basket of learning and then pull them out when it's necessary or when that moment arrives and watch him do the phenomenal. Maybe for you it is a sickness, an illness. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a situation in your own personal family. Whatever that may be, 
ask him. Pray with boldness and confidence in the living God. Don't miss those times alone with God. Doesn't matter how busy you are, how tough you are, how solid your life may be right now. Never think that how you're getting through is by your own bootstraps and on your own ability. Recognize very clearly, I have been blessed by God in amazing ways. And I want to serve him. I want to take my gifts and my abilities and my time. And I want to lay it at his feet. I'm just going to let him do some amazing things in this journey of life. One guy preserved story, story preserved for 3,000 years that I think teaches us as much today as when he lived it. God, I love your word. I'm fascinated by the fact that it's been preserved for such a long period of time and stood the test of time. And so, Father, as we learn from these great biblical characters, may they become a part of our lives. May we learn from them. And may we take the principles that you teach us as we figure out where they fit into our journey of life and recognize the things that you have taught us along the way. Thank you so much for the people you've placed in my life that I've learned so much from. The prayer warriors that can call in a moment's notice and know that we will be prayed for. Thank you for the ones in this audience who have prayed for me. I never, ever thank them enough. We love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your power. Thank you for guys like this who have so much to teach us. May we apply the lessons and learn in your name. Amen.